Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. For decades in the LGBTQ community, the word outing has been used to describe what happens when someone without permission decides to reveal the sex sexual orientation of another person. It has happened to famous and infamous and ordinary people, and more often than not, can be very harming and damaging. It can be seen as an act of betrayal, limiting someone else's agency and violating personal boundaries. But this morning, this morning, I would like to take that word out of that particular context and instead suggest that in a very real sense, this morning, John the Baptist outs Jesus. For centuries, the Jews had been waiting for and looking for the Messiah to come. God had long ago made a covenant with King David that one of his descendants would eventually come and reign forever. But instead, the Romans had ruled the country for many years, and with each passing year, more and more oppression, and the longing for the Messiah grew. So imagine their surprise when they heard from John that the Messiah was already there. He said in today's gospel lesson, Among you stands one whom you do not know, one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. For at least 30 years, Jesus had lived among the people before John had outed him as the Messiah. I wonder how long Jesus might have lived in our midst without ever being recognized if John had never said anything about it. So perhaps a better question for us this morning is, how often does Jesus walk among us today totally unrecognizable? Once upon a time, there was a monastery that had fallen upon very hard times. Once a great order, but over time it had been reduced to only five monks, the abbot and four others, all well into their eighties. The order was dying, of that there was no doubt. Deep in the forest, surrounding the monastery, was a little hut which a rabbi from a nearby town used occasionally for personal retreats. The old monks had developed a sixth sense about the presence of the rabbi and always could tell when he was in the forest. On one such occasion, the abbot, who had been agonizing over the demise of his order, decided to visit the hut to ask the rabbi if he could offer any advice. The rabbi welcomed the abbot into his hut, but when the abbot explains the purpose of his visit, the rabbi could only empathize with his plight and commiserate with him. Yes, the spirit seems to have gone out of the people. It's the same in my town. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So it was that the abbot and the rabbi spent time that day talking of deep things. Finally, the time came for the abbot to leave. The men hugged and the abbot said, It is wonderful that we could meet and talk after all these years. 
but I have failed in my purpose for coming here. Is there no advice at all that you can give me that would help me save my dying order? I'm sorry, said the rabbi. I'm afraid I have no advice to give. All I can tell you, though, is that the Messiah is one of you. Upon his return to the monastery, the abbot was joined by the other monks who asked, Well, what did the rabbi say? He couldn't help, the abbot replied. We just sat and talked. And as I was leaving, he said that the Messiah is one of us, and I have no idea what he meant. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered this and wondered if there could be any possible significance to the rabbi's words, the Messiah is one of us. Do you think he might have meant one of us monks here at the monastery? If he meant one of us, he surely must have been referring to Father Abbot. He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he could have meant Brother Thomas. He is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly he could not have meant Brother Eldred. Brother Eldred gets crotchety at times. But even though he can be a nuisance, when you look back on it, Eldred virtually always has a valid point to make. Perhaps the rabbi did mean Brother Eldred. But certainly not Brother Philip. He is so passive, a real nobody. But then, almost magically, Philip seems to have this knack of appearing at your side just when you need him the most. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. But of course, the rabbi wasn't referring to me. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet what if he were? What if I am the Messiah? Please, God, not me. I couldn't mean that much to you, could I? As each of them reflected in this manner, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one among them just might be the Messiah. And on the remote chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they each began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect as well. Because the forest was so beautiful, people still occasionally came to visit the monastery to picnic on its tiny lawn, to walk along its paths, to sit quietly in the chapel. As they did so, without even being conscious of it, they sensed this aura of extraordinary respect which seemed to surround each of the elderly monks and which permeated the atmosphere of the entire place. There was something, something compelling, something empowering about it. Without knowing exactly why, they began to come back to the monastery more frequently to visit and to play and to pray. They began to bring their friends to share this special place, and their friends brought their friends. And eventually, in time, some of the younger men who came to visit began to talk more and more with the elderly monks. After a while, one of these young men asked if he could join the order. Then another, then another, and then another. Soon, the monastery once again housed a thriving order and thanks to the rabbi's gift became a beacon of peace, of love, 
and of hope. This wonderful story, The Rabbi's Gift, is told by Scott Peck in his now seminal book, The Different Drum, on building community. I use it this morning as an invitation for us to enter into the heart of the gospel lesson we just heard. Throughout the centuries, John the Baptist has been described as smelly and loud and abrasive, socially unacceptable, as a prophet that helps jolt us into an awareness of what it means to prepare for the coming of Christ. Fair enough. But this morning, I believe John outs Jesus, if you will, to help point the listeners of this story then and now in a different direction, a direction that asks us the question, how often does Jesus walk among us today totally unrecognized? Or to put it in terms of a more parallel to the story that we just heard, is the Messiah standing among us, one who we do not know? This morning, I want to think of John like the rabbi in the story we just heard. The rabbi is not the central figure, but the one who points to the answer that is already right in front of the monks in the dying monastery. Both the rabbi and John know the singularly important thing. It is the thing that I wish we could see every day, but I think that we miss it. I know I do on a regular basis. It is the thing that will, in fact, breathe the much-needed new life and hope into so many faith communities today, including ours. So what is that thing? Simply put, though not simply conveyed, I think that that thing is that the Messiah is already here, waiting to be seen and waiting to be noticed in our lives. I think that thing for us is Jesus. But what does that really mean day to day? If Jesus is the thing, how do we live our lives revealing and remembering that truth? And what does that mean in order to change who we are as individuals? Each of us, I think, is entrusted with a lifetime to hopefully discern a meaningful answer to that question, but I think there are parts of the answer that we must share today, and it begins with the story of the monastery. For me, Jesus is the thing because it is the narrative of what love looks like. As others have said before me, it is the story I am willing to be wrong about. And the path I am trying to follow, believing that left to my own devices, my own ego-driven self, I cannot be my best self. So back to the story of the rabbi's gift. What did they do when they thought that just maybe the Messiah was among them? That is a big part of the answer as well. I believe Jesus came to live among us in order to transform forever how people should treat one another, all people, at all times. Advent is a time of year when the church prepares to celebrate that Christ came. Yes, of course. It is also a season for us to prepare for Christ to come again. Yes, again. And today, 
John, and I would suggest the rabbi, help us remember the importance of pointing to the one who has already come and shown us all the hard things that we need to ask because this is what love looks like. This kind of love is messy and hard and relentless. Just look at the life that Jesus led, who he loved, who he ate with, who he welcomed, who he became friends with, and who he fought for, and ultimately who and what he died for. It's an invitation for a life marked with raw, vulnerable, challenging, and sometimes disappointing results. And I can't think of a better path to follow. And by the way, a more faithful community to do that traveling with me. Thankfully, Jesus does not need us to live into his potential, but rather we are the ones who need him in order for us to live into ours. Recognizing and remembering that he is always among us will change every part of our community. It will change the decisions that we make. It will change who and how we welcome the stranger in our midst. It will influence the vision and the mission and the ministry that we take up in years to come. So today, what might change in our lives if we accepted the notion that in fact the Messiah is here among us? We live in an incarnational faith, a faith that compels us to embrace every facet of our lives, our bodies, our minds, our souls, and to infuse ourselves with love, capital L, in such a way that everything we say and touch and respond to and think and believe and convey is a reflection of that understanding. So I invite us to spend the remainder of this very short, holy, sacred Advent season noticing the Messiah in our midst. Even though we can't gather for worship or parties and our circles of in-person connection are sometimes very, very small, I believe it is still possible to find the Messiah already all around us. I, for one, am glad that John the Baptist outed Jesus that day at the river. I need people in my life pointing me in the right direction on a regular basis. And I need a community to keep moving me forward when I get scared or tired or feel alone on this journey. And I need this season of Advent every year, maybe more especially this year, to hear the stories that help align our hearts and prepare a room inside each of us for love to dwell. Messy, hard, wholehearted, life-changing love. The kind of love God must have needed to show us. So we were gifted a little baby who would ultimately change the world and conquer empires, not by might, but by radiating and spreading that love amongst us. May we learn to see the love, that love, as the Messiah standing already among us today and every day. May it be so.